so rubber meets the road. It's so practical that there's sort of this feeling of like when you do a message, it has to have this balance of practical and spiritual as if they're these two different things. But, but in reality, when we understand our theology appropriately, when we understand the things about God the way that we should and the teachings of Scripture, that it's not spiritual or practical, that the two go together because the theology is supposed to direct the practical, Correct? It's supposed to change the way that we live, change the way that we see the world, change the way that we understand things. Our theology should be affecting the way that we live our life, correct? You with me, church? All right, good. Now, I have to ask that because first service, I, they, they said, well, you were putting the screws to us so much that, that we, we weren't too talkative today because God was working. Yeah, I, it, it's not bad, but I, I will say this. We're going we're gonna to delve into, as we've been in Proverbs, and so if you have your Bible and you want to follow along, we're going to be in seven different passages in Proverbs, as well as in the book of James, chapters 1 and 3, if you want to have your bookmarks ready. But, but it's talking about the fool and the wise. In Proverbs, in these two main central characters, and we talked about the mocker before, but with the fool and the wise, there's these descriptions that are given. And it's going to be really easy as I talk about the fool to be like, I know that fool that sleeps on the other side of the bed of me. Or I know that fool that I'm related to or that fool that I work with. And that, that description sounds familiar and it may be, but that's not what today is about. Today is about that person who's looking in my eyes when I look in the mirror. Because you can't apply this to someone else's life and help fix them. You can apply this to your life and the way that you live, and the way that you interact with other people, and then that will be a benefit to the other people around you. But today is super practical, and it's just some, some real rubber meets the road stuff, but, but as I shine a light on these issues about the descriptions of the fool and the descriptions of the wise and how to be wise, I understand that it's not going to 180 flip everything in your personality and in your life and the way that you interact with situations but the goal is to begin to put a light on it so that when you see these things happening, it calls back to your memory and you say, I need to make an adjustment when you're about to react. The, the other thing about the theology and the practical, practical in this is that theology and knowing these things are not enough. It's not enough to just know. It actually has to work its way into the practice of the way that we live our life. Because we've all known the people, it's like they know the theological answers, but they're still a jerk, right? I mean, we just know those people. It's like they can tell you all about premillennialism or eschatology or whatever. They know that content, but they're still choosing, choosing to not be a good husband. And that doesn't make sense. And that's why scripture says knowledge just puffs up. Knowledge is not the answer. Knowledge is not the goal. Putting knowledge into action to honor God, that's the goal. And so it's not enough to just know these things, but it's things that we have to apply to our life. And as we get into Proverbs, it talks a lot about the fool. And I want us to be able to identify the fool because a lot of times we're acting the fool. And we need to adjust that. And so starting off in the book of Proverbs, and we'll project this up onto the screen, Proverbs 10.8, it gives the, these two comparing views, and it says, The wise are glad to be instructed, but babbling fools fall flat on their faces. The wise, when they, when they get instruction from someone else or correction from someone else, their response to instruction is to be glad. But the fool's response 
as, it, as it's in here, is to continue, continue to babble on, to continue to run at the mouth, continue to not allow space for the other people's words, for the instructions to land until they fall on their, flake, uh, fall on their face. And, and these two different options of how we respond to correction or instruction are, are very important because it, we, we know as we've seen this happen in other people, we know how we feel about those people. When we need to tell someone something and they need to listen to instruction from us and their response is to just talk over us and talk over us until they fail at the task that was assigned to them because they wouldn't listen to the instructions, we know how we feel about that person. But when someone is willing to accept the input that we have to give to them, we know how we feel about that person. And we also know the result because once they have the instructions, they understand what they need to do. This plays out in households all the time. And as I shared about this, someone said, man, you must have a preteen in your house as you were talking about this. Now, this would never happen in my house. But I've heard about children that exist that when you try to tell them something, they say, I know. It's like, you're, you're, I'm not even done with my sentence yet. Like, I started to talk and you cut me off and said, I know, since you already know what I was going to say, you've got 15 minutes to do it. Otherwise, the consequences are going to be fall. And I'm going to, they're, they're going to fall and I'm going to enjoy this time. So you know, so you go handle it. You go do it. And, and you know, in, in my, my daughter who, who's gone through the, this phase of the, the I know phase, and I can talk about it because we've worked through this with her. But it was funny, when she became conscious of how she would say I know too quickly as we were giving her instructions, one of the times she's like, I, she said, I know. And I'm like, you just said I know again. And she said, I know. I mean, ah, I'm sorry. Like, it's, it's a struggle. It, and it's a struggle to get yourself sometimes to stop talking long enough to get instruction. I, I mean, when you do begin to see within yourself an area where you've been acting foolish, I just want to highlight the fact that it's not like, oh, I can fix it just like that. I mean, first you have to become aware of it. And so there's going to be a lot of questions for yourself as we go through today's message because there's going to be a couple different descriptions of the fool and I want you to be able to ask yourself because like I said, this is about the, the person in the mirror, not the person beside you. When you are interacting with instruction, when you are hearing from someone else, what is your initial emotional feeling and what do your words do when you're getting instruction from someone else? You get, do you talk around why you already know that even though you probably didn't? Do you, do you just drown out what they're going to say? Do you, does your body temperature rise when someone tries to correct you on something? I mean, this is a struggle, but I, I want you to begin to think about when you get correction from someone else, what's the experience? Because the experience when you try to correct a fool, uh, I'm going to give you three different ways to identify the fool. Co the, these are descriptions that are given in the book of Proverbs, but I'm kind of putting them into common terms. One of the fools that's described in Proverbs is, is the fool that we commonly refer to as the know-it-all. You guys are, are familiar with the know-it-all. It's like, you know, you try to tell them something and they, they, they just say, I know, I know, I know. And, and it, it's, it's, it's enjoyable. I'll, I'll just say it. It's enjoyable when the know-it-all gets put in their place. When they're talking like they're the boss of the world and then they end up in a corner that they can't get out of. And, and you know, they, this has happened. And, and I love, my, my wife is a nurse. Nurses are amazing. They're, 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 but sometimes they get worked out and they get a little stressed and they get a little attitude. And I've been in the nurses, in the doctor's office where the nurse was kind of cocking a little bit of an attitude, talking to us in a weird way. And I just make the mention, you know, my wife right here is a nurse practitioner. And it's like, Boom, like, uh-oh. <laughs> like, like this other person knows what they're talking about more than I do. I, I, be, I better begin to change my behavior. Um, 
it, it's best to change the behavior before we get caught in those situations. It's best to change the behavior before we end up, as the first proverb says, on our face because we just kept talking like a babbling fool. It's best to begin to change our behavior because we see that there's something better ahead of us. The, the fool that's described in Proverbs is one that, that's destructive because when we operate this way, when, when we're babbling on, when we don't leave room for instruction in our life, we leave minimal space for learning when we take the position of, I already have it all figured out. When we take the position of, I already know it, I already have it all figured out, I'm the smartest person in the room, it's destructive because we don't open up any space to learn from someone else. And, and for me, one of the places where I've seen th- th- this humility take place that, that is, stands in opposition to the know-it-all was I, I was with a pastor who leads a church of over a thousand people, and he's in a room with six other church planters, which means it's like we have pretend churches at, at this time. Like this was when I was in the phase of Gulfside Church hadn't launched yet. And, and that's how I describe it. You know, like, How's your church doing? Well, we don't exist yet, but the dream is great. <laughs> um, <laughs> the vision is strong. And, and even in those settings, the, the pastors who I know that have been successful, they would ask the church planner, so what are you doing right now that's working well? It's like they were trying to gather wisdom from guys who didn't even have churches yet. And, and we can have the mentality of the know-it-all, like I'm already successful, I'm already at the top of my game, I don't need to hear anything from you, or we can take the position of humility of you never know where wisdom is going to come from. So I'm going to be open to hear it wherever I can. We don't want to be the know-it-all. We don't want to be that, that, that fool. Um, the, the second description kind of in common language of, of a fool that's described here in Proverbs is, is the been there, done that. It's like you, you tell them, hey, I just, I went scuba diving all the way down to 100 feet. It was amazing. I've never been down that far. And they're like, oh, I've been to 200 feet. And I don't need steel tanks because I, I have gills and I can just go as far as I want. I'm actually Aquaman. I'm Aquaman. I can swim down to the bottom. And you went on vacation to Tennessee. Well, we went to the Swiss Alps and we went there in a helicopter. It was beautiful. It was amazing. You should go there sometime. Like, like, like the person who, who's just been there, whatever you say, they, they, they've had some other experiences, also described as the me monster. But it's just like, whatever you've done, I've already done more. It's like, you know, if you're, if you're this big, I'm this big. And this is a fool, fool that gets described, and it's like their opinion is the only, their experience, their opinion, what, what they've seen is the only thing that matters in their life. Proverbs 18.2 gives this description of the fool, and it says, Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. Fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their own opinions. We're familiar with the person who only wants to air their own opinions. But once again, dial this back at you. How often have we been in that conversation where it's like we're just waiting on the small enough hole in them stopping and I'm holding my breath so my words can pop out as soon as we can so I can begin to talk about what I want to talk about and expressing the opinion and my thought process. And once again, this isn't like, let's fix everything. This is just, I, I want to begin to put the, the spotlight on, on some attitudes and some behaviors. If when we're in conversation with people, we're just dying for the moment to talk about ourselves and talk about our experience and talk about our perspective, we're missing out on a lot of opportunities to hear and learn from other people. When it's our mouth that has to be going for it to be a good conversation, there's, there's a problem. 
When, when it's all about what we've done, what we've seen, what we've felt, it's a problem. You know, I, I jokingly say the, the, the only want to air their own opinions, as Pro, Proverbs 18.2 says it, it kind of reminds me of pick your city and Facebook page. Like, it doesn't matter what state you're in. Cape Coral's got one. Fort Myers has got one. Every state has, like, a local Facebook page, and it's, like, opinions with no understanding. And, and everybody wants to express theirs. They don't want to defend it. They don't want to talk about it. They just want, want to express, express something without conversating, without understanding where other people are on the topic. Proverbs 18.2 says that it's not a sign of health. And it's destructive because when we don't want to hear but we want to be heard, it's a sign that our pride has taken us over. When it's just about expressing what we felt, what we've heard, that's a sign of pride in our heart. The, the, the third fool that we, we see, a third description of kind of common language is the, the can't be wrong. Spin doctors back in the 90s, you know, little miss can't be wrong. But even beyond can't be wrong is can't be wrong even when proven wrong. We're familiar with this fool. We, we, we've been this fool. The, the, even when I have been proven that I'm wrong, I'm still, well, you know what? Even though that is true, still. Have you ever been in an argument where someone gets proven wrong and they say, yeah, but still. But still what? <laughs> like, we just showed that that was a false opinion. It doesn't make sense. You can't keep clinging to it, but we do. And we've done it in our arguments. And Don't nudge the person beside you. This is about you. All right? We, we, we can't cling to that and we can't have that sort of a prideful attitude. Proverbs 12, 15 says this, fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. Now I understand we think our own way is right because if it wasn't right, we'd of course try something else. Um, everyone thinks that they're right. The fool thinks that they're right. The wise thinks, think that they're right as well, but the differentiation is that the wise even when they think that they're right, they'll listen to someone else. Like they're going to move towards what they think is right, but then they'll listen to someone else and then they'll course correct if they need to. You know, I jokingly brought out the philosopher Taylor Swift during the first message. And the f- people clapping for Taylor Swift. It's, yes. Um, the great philosopher Mike Tyson I re- referenced last week. Um, th- this week, a basketball player, really closer to a philosopher than the other two, in my opinion. Um, he, he's known as, people who are correct refer to him as the best basketball player who ever played the game, Michael Jordan. He said this about teachability. He said, my greatest skill was being teachable. I was like a sponge. Even if I thought my coaches were wrong, I tried to listen and learn something. You know, someone who's referred to as the greatest basketball player of all time, he refers to his greatest skills being teachable. And I believe that there should be a desire in your heart to do better, to grow. I believe that that's a healthy desire. And I believe that as a follower of God, as someone who's placed their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ, that the Spirit of God puts in you a desire to grow and to make a difference. And so as a husband, there should be a desire to grow. As a wife, there should be a desire to grow. As a friend, there should be a desire to grow and be a better friend. As an employee, there should be a desire to grow and be a better employee. And teachability really is the key to growth in that. And some of the greatest people in their fields in all time, they refer to this as being one of the things that propelled them to their success. And teachability, I mean, 
someone having a plan or a perspective that's different than yours, that's what really caused a huge division between the Pharisees and Jesus during the time that we see him interacting with them in the Gospels. They were set that this is the way. If I follow these rules, as long as I get these percentages right and I follow these, I don't have to worry about anything else. I don't have to worry about anyone else. I just follow my rules. And Jesus came in and he said, I am the way. Like, if you want to know about the Heavenly Father, then look at me because you've seen the image of him on the way that I live my life. And this is what, I mean, when we talk about knowing Jesus, not just knowing the things that he said, but knowing how he lived and then following in that model. Because as I said at the beginning, we can't just know theological concepts and miss out on applying them to the way that we are a friend. We can't just know, because if we know all those things, but we lack compassion for someone that's close to us, if we lack compassion for the foreigner that's among us, we're missing the heart of Christ. We can't just know it, it has to affect our behavior. And so when we get into these attitudes and these behaviors of, I'm just not wrong. I'm going to fight to death. I'm not going to admit my mistake. I'm just going to hold to this. That's just so in contradiction to what God says his church is supposed to be like. I mean, the the apostle Paul described it, that, that he continually has this battle of, I do the things that I know I shouldn't do. Repentance is part of the life of the believer because mistakes are part of the life of the believer. If we're going to be a humble and honest people, and we can't just always try to hold to this attitude of, I'm always right, I always did it right, I haven't made a mistake. It doesn't line up. It doesn't make sense. And the person who, who holds to, who, it's the fools that think their own way is the right way. And that's not who we want to be. So Proverbs 1.5 says it this way, in the area of improvement, let the wise listen to these Proverbs And become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance. It's possible to be wise and become wiser. It's possible for you to grow. Your life and who you are and your personality and the way that you speak, it has not been inscribed into stone, but you can change and you can grow and you should change and you should grow. And it doesn't matter how long any one of us has walked with Christ and lived our faith out. We all should continually be moving towards an area of growth. And that is a description of the wise, these areas. And so just as I gave you some descriptions in common language of, you know, these are characteristics and attitudes of the fool. I want to give you a few of the wise. The first way to identify the wise is humility. Humility. I, I found that at times... My children can teach me something that I didn't know. And I like to blame my elementary school because I think that they're too young to be teaching me things. But we were driving the other day and we pointed at a rainbow and I commented on it being an arc and my daughter said, it's actually a circle. And I said, no, it's not. It's not a circle. And she said, you can look it up. When they take pictures of them from airplanes, they're often circles and not just arcs. I'm sure all of you already knew that. And your elementary school did a better job than mine, but I got taught something from a child that I maybe wasn't ready to teach, but it's this truth that we can learn things in so many different places. Some of you guys are like, I can't accept that. I'm going to have to Google that when I get home, and you'll see. It'll be all right. You just learned something from an 11-year-old too. It's a truth that churches who are established, they can learn things from smaller churches. It's true that someone who's been through a divorce can teach you something about marriage. Are you willing to accept 
with humility, input from someone who you would feel like you have a right to just write them off. Their, their thoughts aren't as high as my thoughts. Their experience isn't as high as my experience. And so I just will drown them out. I don't need their input. Are you humble enough to learn from someone younger than you, less experienced than you? Are there places that you refuse to learn from? It's easy to learn from someone who's ahead of you, but humility is being able to learn from someone who maybe doesn't have as much to offer on the surface. It's one of the signs of being wise. Another sign of someone who's wise is the desire to grow. The desire to grow is a catalyst to action and not just a feeling. The, the desire to grow is that, that, that push that you feel that drives towards action. And I want to very clearly connect the desire to grow to actually taking action because it's easy to say, I want to be a better husband, but if you don't actually go out and plan a date for your wife, don't tell me that you really want to be a better husband. If you say that you want to grow in your faith, but you're not committing any of your time to grow into your faith, if you're not seeking after a mentor, if you're not seeking after a small group, if you're not seeking to live in community with other believers, then, then there's this, this disconnect between you saying you have a desire, but the desire propelling you to actually take action. A, a sign in, in the wise is that they have a desire to grow that leads them towards an intentional action. Growth, it doesn't happen by, ac- by accident. It doesn't happen by accident in your spiritual life, in your physical life, or in your emotional health. All of those areas are areas that we should be growing in, and they're all ones that happen when we take that step to make it happen. One of the third areas that we see uh, described in Proverbs as a way that we see the wise, that we can identify a wise person, this is something that we want to see in ourselves, is that they embrace correction. They embrace correction. Proverbs 12:1 says it this way: "To learn, you must love discipline." Look at look, look at this. Let's put this on the screen. Proverbs 12:1. Because if I don't, you might not believe me that it's in Scripture. To, to learn, you must love discipline. It is stupid to hate correction. New Living Translation. That's in there. When God calls something stupid, you should probably pay attention. You don't want to be the person that the Bible calls stupid, do you? No. And, and, I, and I laugh, and I, I hope you see that this is light, lighthearted, but it's, it's this truth that Scripture says it's stupid to hate correction. It, it is a dumb thing. It is a foolish thing. When someone tries to help you and set you onto the path that you're supposed to be going in for you to get upset about it. But at the same time, I'll identify that there's an emotion that is felt when someone says, hey, you didn't do that as well as you should have. There, there's an emotion that's felt. I, I remember I was still pastor in Union Chapel and I had just gotten off the stage from teaching a message and one of my mentors that I gave permission to speak into my life, even though I don't think I really wanted him to do it like this, Robin Wood, he's been here to speak before, he grabbed me right after I got off and, and he was like, you did pretty good, but it's always a really big but when someone does that to you. Uh, there's always something else that was attached and I can't remember how gracefully he said it, because he's always kind and loving. I just remember what he meant. I don't remember what he literally said. I remember what he meant, because that was very clear. He, what he said and what he meant was, do you think that was actually helpful to anyone? I mean, it was, it was true what you taught, and it was theologically true, but was it helpful? Is it going to help them tomorrow? And I, I can remember clearly the sense and the feeling that I had the small like temperature rise in, in my physical body of like, how dare you do what I asked you to do? How dare you help me when I asked you to help me? 
But there's, there's that choice in that moment of, do I want to get upset about this or do I want to try to figure out how to apply what he's saying? Because specifically with him, I mean, his experience, he's gone places in leadership that I've never been. He's experienced things and pains and, and areas of growth in his life that I haven't walked through yet. Do I want to trust that or do I want to just protect my ego? Because that's really what's at stake, isn't it? When someone corrects us, the thing that's being risked is our pride. It's our ego. It's the sense of, I can do this all on my own. Why do we cling so hard to the idea of, I should be able to do all of this on my own? When the church is supposed to operate like a body that needs each other, that is dependent upon each other for correction, for encouragement, for help. The wise person, they, they, they embrace it. It's the fool that says, I don't need it, that, that, that hates correction. To learn, you must love discipline. Discipline is difficult. Discipline is not fun. But, I, but we need to learn to love it. And so when that time comes where someone corrects you on something, and maybe God highlights that moment in your heart as you're deciding how to respond, Choose to embrace correction. Proverbs 13, verses 13 through 14 say it this way. People who despise advice, they're asking for trouble. Those who respect a command will succeed. The instruction of the wise is like a life-giving fountain. Those who accept it avoid the snares of death. That's a beautiful picture, and it's this, this interesting illustration of the way that it was written that people who despise advice people who push off advice are actually asking for trouble when we push away advice we're actually asking for trouble and what we want to do is we don't want to invite trouble into our life we want to invite wisdom we want to invite knowledge we want to invite blessing into our life and so how do we move towards that if we can identify some traits of when we're acting like the fool we can identify some traits of how we're acting like the wise what are some ways that we can move towards that? Here's four quick ways that, that I think that we can move towards that. Four ways to move towards wisdom. The first is initiate. And we're in the book of James now. James 1.5 says that if any of you need wisdom, ask God. He gives it generously. This is the first thing. If you want wisdom in your spiritual life, in your physical health, in your emotional health, one of the first things that you need to do is you need to initiate that growth. When you sense the feeling that I need to step forward in this area, you need to take that step and initiate it. And when the, with the area of wisdom is what the book of James says, is that when you ask, God will give it to us generously. And then wisdom is going gonna, is gonna to play out through our actions, through the way that we live our life. But this is how it starts in any of the areas where you want to get healthier. It's going to start with you initiating it. And as you take that step, James 122 encourages us to implement what we've, what we've learned. So we initiate the start, we implement the things that we've learned. Because James 122 tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, which is just deceiving ourselves. If we listen to the thoughts, if we, if we understand the things that we need to do to grow, but we don't apply them, we don't do the things that we're called to do, then we're just deceiving ourselves about any sense of growth in our life. We actually have to implement these things. And then when we implement them, we will improve. And that's the third thing, improve. James 3.17 says it this way, but the wisdom from above, now notice this, this is wisdom that we receive from God. He gives it generously is what James 1 says. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. 
It shows no favoritism and it's always sincere. So this wisdom that God gives us, it then begins to play out through our actions and through our lives. It begins to, in some way, soften and change our personalities. You're not just stuck the way that you are. You're not just the type of husband that you currently are. You're not just the type of wife. You're not just the type of friend. You're not just the type of family member that you are. You should be improving and changing because the type of wisdom that God gives us as we grow in our faith, it changes the way that we interact with people. It brings a sense of peace that wasn't there in situations that were difficult. As we gain wisdom, we become more like Christ in the way that we interact with the people, with, with the people around us. And, and the interesting thing about this growth, this might be an interesting way for you to think about it, is that the goal is growth. And so the goal is that when I look back a year from now and look at how I am right now, I want to look back and say, look at all the areas that I was wrong in. I mean, in 2019 in July, look at all the areas that I was not striving in yet. I, I want you as a person, and I want us as a church to look back on this time period and be able to say, look how we've grown and matured. Look, look, at, look at the change that has occurred. Look at how much we're doing things better now than we were then. That's the goal. The goal is growth. The goal isn't to hang on to a sense of pride and ego and just do it the way we've been doing it. The goal is growth. And specifically for you personally, it's spiritual growth, physical health, and emotional health. You want to grow in those areas. You want to grow in your relational health with the people around you. But all of that requires steps and intentionality. Band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to begin to close this thing out. We want to improve. The goal is to improve. And when God gives wisdom, it helps us to improve in our life. And then the, the fourth thing that we want to happen, and we can't really make this happen, but it is a byproduct that happens, is we want to inspire people. James 3.18 says this, and it says, those who are peacemakers, which is a result of the wisdom of God in our life, those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest in their own life. Now this is the truth, that as we grow closer to God and, and, and the image of Christ kind of begins to live out through our life to people around us, we, we get to plant seeds that, that we see will change other people's lives, but there's also this harvest, this blessing that comes back to us. I mean, I just, it's this, this incredible design of God that when we get our life right with him, that as a byproduct, other people's lives are touched and changed. That as we allow the, the, the gospel of Christ to transform who we are, this blessing that we feel and we experience, that starts with that first yes, the first time that we say yes to God and we open our heart to him, that blessing begins to flow through to other people. But they don't, they don't experience it because what we think and the spiritual truths that we think in our head and we hold on to it, they experience it because of the spiritual truths and principles we put to work in our life. The spiritual truths and principles we put to work in our family. The areas where we say, I've been like this, but I don't want to be like that anymore. So God, help me to grow out of this. And people see that and they, they understand. I need that. Proverbs 19.20. I didn't put this one in my notes. I should have. This is one worth writing down. This is just a great punctuation to, to this message of teachability. 
says, get all the advice and instruction you can. Get all the advice and instruction you can so you will be wise the rest of your life. That seems so basic. That seems like such a simple, practical truth. But are we chasing after that? Are we chasing after growing in wisdom that we can apply to our life, growing in instruction and correction so that as we move forward, our life will be all that God wants it to be? You know, I, I have no problem bragging on some of the people around here because we have such a tremendous team. We have so many amazing people in this church, but especially on the area of teachability, um, I, I like to brag on Andrew. Um, Andrew Basic has taught here a few times. And, you know, pastors or people who come up here and teach, they just show up and they just say something, right? I mean, like, they, it doesn't take a whole bunch of work to do it. You only work on Sundays. That's what he, what he does. He just shows up. No. Um, he spends months in preparation. And what you don't see is he will write a couple pages of things and he'll bring it to me and I'll put lines through it and I'll be like, no, not this, this, and I'll, I'll change things. And every single time his heart is, I want to do what's best for the church and I want to learn and I want to grow. And I just, I, I tell other guys as they're getting started, you need to have teachability like this. This kind of teachability is what moves you towards greater blessings and greater experience and greater wisdom. There is great wisdom in choosing, choosing to be teachable. So church, if you're going to choose to be teachable, if God has an area in your life that you know needs to grow, what area do you need to grow in? What area do you need to open your life up to be teachable in so that you can grow towards the calling and the goals that God has before you? I want to see the best for your life. I want to see the best for your family. I want to see the best for the people of this church because I want to see the best for this city. The blessing that flows from this church to the city starts with the choice you make to experience God's blessings. And so to close it up, the little bit of wisdom number three, the kind of message in a statement. The habit of a teachable spirit, it produces a life of consistent wisdom. When you choose to adopt a teachable spirit, it will lead you towards wisdom. So that's a choice that you'll have to make. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for your patience. I thank you that even after we have acted like a fool for so many years, you still call us into something greater. You still call us to an abundant, full life where we're surrounded with blessing and joy and love. I thank you that you want something better for us than we even want for ourselves. But give us the courage, give us the wisdom, give us the foresight to look ahead and say, I need to make a change and I'm going to make it. So if it's in our spiritual life, if it's in our, our health, if it's in our emotional health, Lord, give us the wisdom to get instruction in that so that we can chase after all that you called us to be. Thank you that your spirit guides us through this. We trust that as we follow your teachings, that we will be on a strong and firm foundation. In your son's name we pray. Amen.